We were in the Gospel of Mark on Sunday morning and uh, looking at a series of messages on uh, the Olivet Discourse I've called The End of the Beginning. Uh, As we look around in our world today, there are a lot of things that are causing people to panic. We see a lot of panic out there, and if you look closely, you'll see a lot of the things that cause that, a lot of fear in our world today. And as these things begin to play out, I hear it a lot. People have asked, uh, is this it? Is this the end? And the answer to that is no, no. But in the words of Winston Churchill, it may be the end of the beginning. And you'll see this passage. We've looked at it before, Mark chapter 13, verse 7. But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places. And there will be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. Jesus was giving this message on the Mount of Olives as he was leaving the temple in Jerusalem for his last trip there before his death. He pronounced judgment on the temple in those famous words where he said that there will not be a stone left upon a stone. Such a pronouncement was unthinkable to the disciples. And so Peter, Andrew, James, and John would come to him later and ask him, Lord, you know, what will be the sign of this? What what are we supposed to look for? What's the sign of your coming? Uh, That is, when you're coming in judgment as you are describing here. And what will be the sign of the end of the world or the end of the age? Jesus then would speak to them of these beginning of sorrows using uh, the word sorrow, which speaks of labor pains or birth pains. It would ultimately give birth and will to that unprecedented time of tribulation in the last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. And Jesus then gives us some signs, some birth pains, different things that we would see happening that would build in intensity and in rapidity as we get closer and closer to His return. The first of these we saw a couple of weeks ago, a time of deception. And Jesus spoke of an ongoing deception, deception that was already in the world, but a deception that would escalate and intensify. And I think we're living today in that time of deepening, darkening, growing deception. The first sign, the first of birth pain. Today, then, we continue on with the second one that Jesus gave, and this is one that we're going to call division, deception, then division. When you hear, verse 7, of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. Uh, divisions. The truth of Jesus' words are etched in blood across the pages of time. Wars and rumors of wars. It would be hard to point back to any particular moment in history where there wasn't some kind of war going on somewhere in this world. It is a war 
torn world. I looked at Wikipedia this week, just wondering, not that it's always trustworthy, but it's a, a simple reference. And, and they cited 24 uh, different ongoing conflicts right now around the world, and that didn't even include Chicago. <laughs> or Little Rock. <laughs> I mean, it just ongoing conflicts everywhere. And we know about them. Our Lord put it simply, This world will never know peace until the Prince of Peace makes it happen. He accurately then predicted the prevalence of war. I saw an article that went back uh, to the beginning of the Russian invasion of the Ukraine just a few weeks ago. This person had interviewed a young woman and her mother Uh, And the young woman said that when she heard that Russia had actually gone through with their invasion, the first thing she did was to go to the pharmacy and buy all of the emergency contraception she could buy, whatever that was. She said her mother had told her, don't worry, this won't be that kind of war. And the daughter responded, they're all that kind of war. A few weeks later, She was right. See, we were thinking that perhaps we had war on the run just a little bit, that in our modern civilized world, we'd find a kinder, gentler, and more educated, a more sophisticated way to wage war. Certainly a war with combatants, of course, but surely not a war against civilians, not a war with torture and atrocities, and rape and starvation and mass murder and genocide. Surely, surely, humanity is past that kind of barbarism. Right? That would be a hard no. No, we're not. Remember that the deadliest war of all time was a global war, and it was the last global war. It will pale in comparison to the wars that are to come. And I say wars. So if we were thinking that we were finally in a realm of sophistication and education, an age of diplomacy and civility and compromise, you would think with all this talk about globalism, all of this talk about diplomacy, you'd think that humanity would be doing better in the War Department. But we're not. We're not. John F. Kennedy famously said, Mankind must put an end to war before war puts an end to mankind. But John F. Kennedy also said, it is an unfortunate fact that we can secure peace only by preparing for war. Would that seem ironic to you that the same guy would make both of those statements? One writer pointed out that there have been as many wars in the world as there have been plagues, and both always seem to catch humanity by surprise. You see, man has never put an end to war. And we haven't really improved it all that much, except within our capability of killing on a much more massive scale. 
If mankind were somehow to put an end to war, then Jesus would have been wrong. Because Jesus said, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. They won't stop right up until the end. But he moved on from there. Not only wars and rumors of wars, but nations would be against nations. The Greek word that is used in that passage is the word ethnos. It's the word from which our word ethnic is derived. It speaks of a group of people holding things in common, such as race or religion or cultural status. Is there any ethnic conflict going on in our world today? When you hear or read about some people's idea of modern America, the antagonism between white people and black people is the worst thing that has ever happened ethnically in all of history. And, and again, to hear some of them say it would seem like that here in the United States of America, we invented ethnic hostility and nobody's had any worse than we have. But I'm here to tell you today that the bloody facts of history cannot be denied. Millions upon millions of people around the world have died and are dying in ethnic violence right now. And if anything, it seems to be increasing, which would be right in line with what Jesus said long ago. If they teach you that ethnic hostility, and I'm speaking to you younger folks today, still in school, if if somebody ever teaches you that ethnic hostility is only happening between white people and black people or between conservative people and LBTGQ people, they are either deliberately lying to you or are themselves deceived. Most ethnic hatred and violence has nothing to do with race and certainly nothing to do with sexual preference. Not to say that some of it doesn't go on, it does. But by far and away, most ethnicity is not, and ethnic hatred doesn't play out along racial lines. It just doesn't. It never has. Jesus predicted then that there would be ethnic violence. Nation would rise against nation. Ethnic group would rise up against ethnic group. That as there would be wars and rumors of wars there were and they would continue and mankind would not find a solution, so also mankind would not find a solution to ethnic hatred and violence. Man's not going to fix this. If they did, then Jesus was wrong. He then says kingdom will rise against kingdom. And the word Jesus uses here is not just a reference to an actual person or nation as much as the power or dominion that rules over an area or populace. Remember in Jesus' day there was a kingdom. Uh, that kingdom was the power of Rome. And nation after nation after nation was involved under that power structure. And that's what he's speaking of when he speaks of the word kingdom. Kingdom, power structure would rise up against power structure. Dominion would rise up then against dominion. And once again, Jesus was right on target. It's been that way throughout history. It is certainly that way today. But there are growing sources of power in our world right now. And people who wield it. 
It was a British historian, Lord Actor, who famously said, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. There are incredible power structures being put in place in our world today. You say, what do they look like? Well, they're not necessarily military power. I'm not sure that military power, although that's part of it, is going to be the big deal going forward. It's going to be the people who control the money, of course. The people who control the food, of course. The people who control the power. I'm talking about electric power. And, of course, the people who control the fuel and the moving of information. Power structures. Power structure against power structure. And those who have it uh, will do anything to defend it and expand it. Those who don't have it are going to be rising up to try to take it. It's the story of our world today. So Jesus spoke of the sign of deception, of birth pain, growing in intensity. And then he speaks of this time of this vision, of birth pain, growing in intensity. Then he speaks of disasters. Verse 8, there will be earthquakes in various places and there will be famines and troubles. Matthew 24, instead of the word troubles, has the word pestilence. That ought to ring a bell for us this morning. Jesus said these things would be around. And sure enough, they are and always have been. How about the bubonic plague? It wiped out 60% of the population of Europe and killed 100 million people. Consider the influenza outbreak in World War I that killed 40 million. We've dealt over the last couple of years with COVID-19, which seems rather tame by comparison. 325 million cases so far and 5.5 million deaths. Just a few years ago, there was another viral epidemic that was on everyone's mind. It was called AIDS. AIDS had only 75 million cases worldwide only, if you say it fast. But where COVID with 325 million cases produced 5.5 million deaths, AIDS with only 75 million cases is credited with 22 million deaths worldwide so far. Far more deadly virus. When you look back through history, epidemics and pandemics have been around with all the troubles that they brought with them. Modern medicine, with all its miracles, has not won the battle. And it won't. Jesus said it. There will be pestilences. Or troubles, they are here, there always will be. He mentioned famine. We're hearing a lot about famine these days, and rightly so. The cyclical occurrence of famine has been a mainstay of society throughout histories. history. Jesus certainly knew this, and once again, his prediction was 100% accurate. As with all the others, modern humanity has a tendency to trust in its gods of science and technology to overcome famine. But isn't it interesting that President Biden actually used the word food shortage just two weeks ago in a nationwide speech and is warning that what might be a food shortage here will be a famine 
in many parts of the world. Famine. He mentions then the earthquakes. Our planet's a shaky place. It's been hit hard by earthquakes, but it seems that even here, modern humanity thinks that we're going to find a way through science and technology to predict them, prepare for them, and perhaps even overcome them. We won't. Earthquakes will always defy prediction. And of course, there is no way, no way that we can keep them from happening. They hit hard in many places. And according to Jesus, these earthquakes are one of the birth pains that will grow in intensity so that there will be more and more of them as we get closer and closer to his return. As you well know, earthquakes can wipe out whole cities. They can take down infrastructure of a whole region, almost a whole country for months and even years. They kill indiscriminately. Earthquakes. But as Jesus said these things, he also said, do not be troubled. Isn't that interesting? We'll talk more about that in a moment. Do not be troubled. Don't be trying to make every earthquake or every war or every famine or every pestilence or every act of ethnic unrest or every power struggle by some group trying to take over the world into a reason for us to get all worked up. Jesus said it. Don't be troubled. This isn't the end yet. But we might be getting close to the end of the beginning. Deception, division, destruction. Then he mentions persecution. Hang with me. There's some good news at the end of this today. I thought you might need a little commercial about this point. Verse 9, but watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You'll be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak, but whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Jesus then, speaking to his disciples, predicted that they would be persecuted by the Jews. If you want to read about that, read Acts 4, 5, 8, 12, 13, 21, 22, 25, and 26. The persecution by the Jews of the Christian faith. But he also says, you'll be brought before rulers and kings for my sake. The persecution that would come from the Gentile people. And you can read about that in Acts 16, 17, 18, 21, 24, and 25. They would be brought before rulers and kings. You can read about that in the book of Acts. You see, Jesus was absolutely accurate in what he said. But it didn't stop. Even though this all played out in the book of Acts, it didn't stop. The opposition and antagonism and persecution of Christians spread around the world along with the truth of the gospel. Wherever the gospel has spread, people have faced persecution. Christian people. There's been hostility toward the name of Jesus and toward the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that hostility is not declining. It is increasing. And you all know it. Back in 1995, I read this week about a commentator named Andre Kodrescu. 
He reported in a broadcast on national public radio, and yes, I probably butchered his last name. I am from South Arkansas. But he was handed a track that he was talking about in his radio program on national public radio. You understand that that is, of course, a federally funded national public radio. He was handed a track. I don't know who it was from. But it was apparently predicting the rapture. And in fact, that particular track was predicting that there would be four million people who would ascend to heaven immediately. And he continued and said this, national public radio. The evaporation of four million people who believe this would leave the world an instantly better place. Hmm. Regardless of where he got his numbers from, and quite frankly, I think the rapture is going to involve a lot more than four million people, don't you? We might think that there'd be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth over the disappearance of Christians. We not need to rethink our thinking. There are those in this world who would be thrilled if every church in this country was shut down and empty. If they're preaching the Bible. This has certainly played out. He talked about how that we would be hated of all people for his name's sake. This has played out. Jesus, of course, was right. There was deception. There was division, destruction. Another birth pain, persecution that would be growing in intensity. A lot to be said about that, but I'm just moving on today. Last, he talks about betrayal. Brother will betray brother to death and the father his child. Children rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. When I... Read verse 12, I, I, I don't mind telling you, I felt a chill into the depths of my soul. A father betraying his child. Children rising up against parents and betraying them so that they would be put to death for their faith in Jesus Christ. See, Jesus describes how that families will be divided by the truth of the gospel how that members of family would be so ingrained with an ideology and that ideology would be so strongly opposed to the Christian faith and message that the family unit would break down so that it would become a place of conflict and betrayal, conflict and betrayal and even execution. As we've seen with the other things, certainly these things have happened throughout all time. Jesus spoke of it in his own ministry and he said that, uh, that there would be a conflict between children and their parents and parents and their children. And there's many a wife that goes home on Sunday after church to an angry husband. Many children who go home after church to angry parents who are angry at them because of their faith. But of course, it can get incredibly worse. And it has. You remember, as I do, the ideology that was drilled into the minds of the Hitler youth. So that they raised up a generation so deeply ingrained with his demonic doctrines that 70 million people around the globe would pay for it with their lives. Hitler Youth. I received a 
note from Franklin Graham this week, not personally to me, it was just a mail out. But he made the point that perhaps the most significant elections going on this year around the world in America will be for our local school boards. A lot of truth in that. Because there are efforts being made, it's in the news, you know about it, to indoctrinate children, children, with an ideology that will go against the faith of their parents. And it's just a stepping stone because, folk, once the Bible is out the window as our rule of faith and practice, then people are free to make up whatever they want. And they are. We watch then, and our culture as one generation is increasingly pitted against another and Christians find themselves in the middle. This is the reality that we've lived. It was the way Jesus said the world would be. And it would be that way right up until the end. But he mentions these things as birth pangs because he said these are things you will see growing in intensity. Coming faster and faster. The beginning of sorrows. Now if this is all Jesus had to say in this passage. It would be a pretty bleak picture. But Jesus wove into this message some very hopeful and helpful truth. About how we are to live in these days. And how people have always been to live. Been supposed to live in these days. Oh, yes, Christians face the danger of deception. We're not immune just because we're believers. Christians can be caught up in either being blind to all the things that are happening of prophetic significance or being obsessed with it. We can get on either side or the other, somewhere in between. The danger of deception is out there. It's real. We face the deepening division in our world, and Christians die in war just like lost people do. If war strikes our food supply, Christians will go hungry just like everybody else will. Christians are affected by natural disasters like earthquakes. Christians die in pestilences, obviously, just like others do. Christians are persecuted. We add to this then something that others don't have in the sense that we are persecuted because of what we believe and what we know to be true. The world today tries to frame its ideology around victimhood as if Christians somehow are trying to hate on and destroy everyone who doesn't agree with us. And nothing can be further from the truth. Paul told us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That is, that we don't fight against people. We fight for people. We fight the spiritual wickedness that is at work blinding people and binding people to sin, blinding them to the truth of the gospel. That's who we fight. We're not fighting people. We fight for people. But that's what they want to believe. Meanwhile, it is Christians who are hated, Christians who are maligned, Christians who are threatened with destruction and death. The world seems to turn a blind eye incredibly to the killing and torturing and targeting and even the systemic rape of Christians around the world. Why? Because exposing all of that and reporting all of that doesn't fit the narrative. Christians often can't find a safe place in their own family. 
But in the midst of it all, Jesus offers us two great things. Two great things. And both of them are opportunities. First of all, this morning, in the midst of all of this, we have an incredible opportunity to trust our great God. An opportunity to trust. Jesus said in verse 7, do not be troubled. And in verse 11, he said, do not worry. Isn't that amazing? Do not be troubled. This is an emphatic statement. He didn't just make a little suggestion here. Do not be troubled and do not worry. Why? Because the followers of Jesus Christ understand that there is something great going on. And we're a part of it. And what is great that is going on is the cause of Jesus Christ. The playing out of God's redemptive purpose in the world. We're a part of something bigger than you and I. We're a part of the cause of Jesus Christ. And that cause is going on. It may look like his kingdom is going down. It's not. It's not. Jesus said the gospel would be preached around the world. And that is happening right now. He warned us that there would be things that would happen in our world. And even things that would happen to us that would leave us confused and wondering. We might not know exactly uh, where to come down on the side of a lot of issues. And we have certainly see that played out over the last couple of years. If it's up to our understanding to carry the day, we'd be hopeless. But Jesus said in those times, the mighty Holy Spirit of God lives within you and He lives within me if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit constantly in us knows exactly what we're going through. He knows exactly what we need to do. He knows exactly what we need to say. And Jesus specifically told us then that He will lead you when the time is right. I know you'd feel a little bit better if He'd give you a little advance warning. But He doesn't. There's something you see about our fallen human nature that we won't trust God unless we have to, but God sees to it that we have to. These situations come along and say, I don't know what to do. Good. The Holy Spirit does. We need to listen to Him. It's a mighty, mighty opportunity then to trust in our God. We can't trust ourselves to do what's right, but we can trust Him and that's exactly what we need to be doing and putting that trust on display in a watching world. You remember that story when Jesus and his disciples were walking through a corn patch and they picked some corn on the Sabbath day? You remember that? And all of a sudden the Bible says that the Sadducees and Pharisees were right there and they just came out jumping on them. Why are y'all doing this? What in the world was that bunch of Pharisees and Sadducees doing out in the middle of a corn patch on the Sabbath day anyway. You know what they're doing? They're following Jesus around, watching him and his disciples, seeing if they could catch him at something. That's the world you and I live in. And so Jesus then tells us also there's an opportunity to testify. Not only an opportunity to trust, but an opportunity to testify. You will be a testimony, he says, unto them. 
Remember, folks, we're a twice-born people living in a once-born world. We are the children of light living among the children of darkness. We're the salt, and the world is the wound. We follow the Lord Jesus, and they follow without even knowing it. The prince of darkness. We have an obvious difference about us. We trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know the word martyr in Greek is the word witness. Same word. You see, Jesus reminds us in this passage of the blessedness that comes when these things happen to us for His sake. Now, this doesn't mean that every time something bad happens to us, we're being persecuted. Because a lot of the things that happen to us that are bad are of our own making. Adrian Rogers used a very technical theological term to describe this when he said sometimes people claim that they're being persecuted. They're being persecuted when in fact they are suffering because they are religious nuts. Theological term. Folks, we don't have to push ourselves into extremism in order to suffer persecution. Just be faithful to Jesus Christ. Live out the truths of our faith. Be a faithful testimony to the gospel. And persecution will seek you out. But persecution does not get the last word. Because as Christians, we can turn persecution into proclamation. In our time. And while all these things are going on, and and Jesus didn't say, you know, well, Christians, y'all are going to be healthy and happy, and everything is going to be fine. I mean, a good old old Arkansas word, everything will just be hunky-dory. You'll have a zippity-doo-dah life for about uh, 1,900 and 2,000 years, and then things are going to get bad. No. Jesus said, it'll be this way. This is how the world is. Don't be worried, don't be troubled, because the gospel is going to be preached. Isn't that good news? The gospel is going to go around the world. It's not going to hold it back. It's not going to shut it down. God's kingdom agenda is marching along right on course and right on time and right on schedule. We know. We know how things are going to go. We know the way the world is because Jesus told us. It doesn't matter then how many voices are out there saying, well, we're going to fix this. Every now and then I just stop and ponder for just a second. And I probably shouldn't do this today, but I can't help myself. I I, I just ponder from time to time. That, that, that we're living today with a scientific community that actually believes that we can control the weather. You ever think about that? Is it just me? Well, the weather changes. Yeah, it sure does. I can look back in history and see a lot of weather pattern changes. It's always been there. I bring that up today just to remind you that People have so much faith and so much confidence in our technology and our science and our education and our ability then to fix everything in the world. But I'm going to take the word of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, this is the way it's going to be. 
And it has been that way. And it is that way. And what do we do? We mightily trust in God. And we maintain our testimony. Because the gospel, the gospel is going to keep right on going until Jesus takes us out.